please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Book of Hebrews, chapter 11. All the time. Hebrews, chapter 11, beginning in verse 13 this morning. We began this chapter looking at the examples of faith. Remember that the author of Hebrews through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has provided for us so far. We've seen how to worship by faith through the life of Abel. We saw how to walk by faith through the life of Enoch. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how to wait by faith through the lives of Abraham and Sarah. So, Worship by faith, walk by faith, and now wait by faith. And remember this passage with Abraham and Sarah begins in verse 8 and goes all the way through to verse 19. We're going to look at verses 13 to 16 here this morning. So far we've seen that we must wait by faith even when we don't know where we are called to. Even when we don't know what God has in store yet. Even when we don't know the location God is calling us to or the ministry the Lord is calling us to or we just don't know the where, but yet we are to be obedient even when we don't know where. Secondly, we saw that we must wait by faith even when we don't know how God will fulfill his promise. We saw that in verses 11 and 12 last week. We saw this in the life of Abraham and Sarah as well as they awaited God to fulfill his promises. And remember, they were no spring chickens and they couldn't really figure out how this was going to happen. And then the Lord made them wait another 25 years before he actually fulfilled it just to show them how incredible he is, how powerful he is, and that nothing is impossible with God. They waited for God to fulfill his promise of an heir through whom Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And so we are to wait upon God by faith, even when we don't know where we are called or how God is going to fulfill his promises. But today, we, want to, we will see that we are to wait upon God even when we don't know when. And I have to tell you, my friends, that I think this is probably the hardest one. It's when we don't know when he will fulfill his promises. It certainly requires great faith. I don't want to diminish the other two as well. It, it requires great faith to respond in obedience when we don't know where God is sending us. Or to what situation we're going to encounter when we respond. That requires great faith. It also takes great faith when we don't know how God is going to fulfill his promises, but we can often reconcile that in our head, can't we? We can say, well, God is infinite. I am finite. He's all-powerful. I have limited resources. He has infinite resources. I'm not sure how God will do this, but I am confident that he will. But when we do not see God moving at all, especially when that promise of God that we want him to fulfill, or at least the promise we want him to fulfill the most, goes unfulfilled for a long, long period of time. This is where we find our deepest struggle. 
Because the longer that promise remains unfulfilled, and the closer we get to the end of our lives here on earth, the more difficult that struggle becomes. Many of you are praying for the salvation of a dear loved one. And perhaps you've been praying for a long, long, long time. And as the years go marching by, it becomes harder. It's, it's more of a struggle than it was five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. And as you move forward in time, it's, it's harder to keep your perspective. It's harder to persevere the longer the time marches on without God's promise being fulfilled. Well, because of that, one of the things that the writer of Hebrews wants us to, wants his readers to see, and although their circumstances are difficult, that they're not unique. He's writing this letter, remember, to a, a group of Hebrew Christians or professing Christians and true believers who are facing persecution, they're facing trials, and they're clinging to the promises that they made of God's promises that they clung to at salvation. But their life is becoming increasingly more difficult, not easier. And the longer time goes on, the harder it is to persevere in their faith. And the author of Hebrews wants them to see that you're not unique in that sense of having to trust God and wait long periods of time before God fulfills his promises. You're not unique in the sense of trusting God right up to the very end, even when you've not even begun to realize the fulfillment of the things that God has promised. And that that type of persevering faith is not unique to just them. That this has been going on from the very beginning with God. That this is something he requires of us. And in, in reality, it's something that he requires of his people in every age. And he wants his readers to not only know how to respond in that situation, but to be able to put their situation into perspective, to see that God is not asking any more of them than he has of the other saints in every age. That it's a common experience of God's people in every age to receive and embrace God's promises by faith persevere, and that those great promises have been passed down to us through the generation or throughout the generation of believers, and they had to cling to those promises, and the recipients of this letter have to cling to those promises, and listen carefully, so do we. It hasn't changed through the generations that our faith and our trust in God and in his word has not changed. The circumstances might be different, but the faith, the persevering faith that it requires has not changed. Think about your own life here, the great promises of forgiveness and salvation, the promise of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the regeneration of your sinful hearts, the promise of bodily resurrection or the returning of our Savior or or eternal life in heaven. Now, some of those we have received already, haven't we? Or at least they've been inaugurated in some sense. For example, the Holy Spirit. We know now in this present age, right, as a believer, that 
the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? We've been regenerated and indwelt and baptized and sealed. But there are other aspects of God's promises that we have not yet seen. For example, I don't believe any of you are bodily resurrected here yet today. None of us have seen the second advent of our Savior. Nevertheless, whether partially fulfilled or yet somewhere in the future, we as people, along with the early patriarchs, are always looking forward. We're always awaiting the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of God's promises, anticipating the day when God will complete all of the good things he has begun. The day when we will experience fully all that he has promised. However, that day is not here yet. So how do we wait? How do we persevere? How can we persevere when we don't know when God will fulfill his promises? Well, that's what we want to look at here this morning in verses 13 to 16. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the immense privilege that I have to open up your great truth. I thank you for all these dear saints that you've gathered here together. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and open minds to your wonderful truth. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word. That we wouldn't just listen to your word here this morning and think that how this applies to somebody else's life. But rather, Lord, we would first ask ourselves, Father, what would you have me do with this? How should I apply this to my life to bring you honor and glory? That's our heart's desire, Lord. That's our heart's desire this morning and every morning. Be with us now, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's look at verses 13 to 16 and then read this whole little section here first because we learned this in Sunday school that this is important. So we're going to do this. We're going to read this little section 13 through 16 and then we're going to come back and have your notes ready as we'll look at point number one. Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country, I'm sorry, yeah, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's look at verse 13, shall we? And here's your first point in your notes here this morning. Persevering faith means that we will live our lives as strangers and exiles all the way through the end of the journey. It's a, it's a longer point, but here you go again, one more time. Persevering faith means that we will live our lives as strangers and exiles 
all the way through the end of the journey. Notice first in verse 13, he says, all these died in faith. Now, who are the all these that he's referring to? Well, it can't be everybody he's talked about so far because we know Enoch was translated, right? So he didn't die in his faith. He was translated from this world into heaven. So who are the all these? Well, they're the same ones that were mentioned in verse 9, and that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant promise that uh, to Abraham was repeated to Isaac in Genesis 26, and then again to, uh, to uh, Jacob in Genesis 28. And that promise then was that they would have an earthly inheritance, right? The promised land and a heavenly inheritance as well. But they would have both of those. So all these, we know who they're talking about now, says here, died in faith. Now that those words in faith actually mean according to their faith. Or here would be a better translation, if you will. Their faith was the rule by which they lived and died. So not only did these saints die without receiving the promises, but they were still living by their faith until they took their last breath here on earth. Their faith was so strong that it ruled their lives until the very moment that God called them home. To the very instant when they closed their eyes in this world and opened their eyes in the presence of Christ. That's how strong their faith was. And remember, they never received the promises that God had promised to them. The most land that Abraham ever ever owned was a six-foot plot for his wife. And yet, they lived their life by faith every day. Matter of fact, their faith is what ruled their life. Their faith is what impacted every decision they ever made. Their faith in God's promises is how they decided they would live their life. It had an impact on every aspect of them. Their faith was the dominant characteristic of their life until the very end. You know, we don't spend an awful lot of time talking about how to die well these days, do we? We put an awful lot of emphasis on how to live well in our culture, but we don't spend a lot of time on how to die well. The Puritans, they spend a lot of time on how to die well. What do they mean by that? They meant that you lived your life with such strong faith, with such strong assurance, with such strong conviction, that even till you took your last breath, it was a testimony of the faith that you had. I can tell you, I've spent many years in school now. I've not had a single class now on how to die well. I've had numerous classes on how to live well, according to Scripture, but not how to die well. Perhaps we should spend a little more time on what God has to say there. Now, in spite of not ever having received the promise, they had, in a measure, experienced. They had, notice there, they had seen them. They did not receive the promises, but having seen them. What does that mean? It means that they had 
were so assured of God's promises and lived with the conviction of the truth of those promises, it's as if they had actually been fulfilled, even though they had not. They had seen them. That is an example of what the author of Hebrews says is a description of what persevering faith is, right? It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. So in contrast to actually receiving the promises, notice here, they welcome them from a distance. That word, that Greek word, aspatsomai, which just means this. They anticipated with pleasure and looked forward to with happiness what was going to happen. What was going to happen. They welcomed God's promises with open arms. They brought God's promises into their lives by faith, and they gladly welcomed them into every aspect of their life. The reason that Abraham left his homeland and moved to Canaan was that he had seen and welcomed God's promises by faith. He had received them in open arms and said, I believe this to be true. And whether I see that in my life or not, in my lifetime, does not make a difference, does not change who God is, does not change the validity of his promise. If he had ignored God's promises, he would have continued to stay where he was at. And he would have blended in with everybody else. But because he believed God and obeyed his call, he went out from his family and friends. And notice, he lived as a stranger and an exile on the earth. Basically, he left a very progressive, very advanced civilization to live in a tent in the desert with some desert animals and his family. Because remember, Babylon and Ur, all close there, and Chaldeans, all part of that same group there, were some of the most advanced scientifically and technologically the world had ever known. And yet, he leaves all of that. Seeing and welcoming God's promises and living his life like that disrupted his entire life, my friends. It changed everything that he thought was normal in his life and flipped it upside down. It disrupted every aspect. Instead of blending in, he was different now. People would have probably stared at them as they moved from different section to different section. When they pitched their tents outside of a new area, would have had people saying, who are these folks? They don't think like us. They don't talk like us. They don't dress like us. They're not interested in the same things. They don't worship the same gods that we do, small g. They seem to have different values. They seem to have different priorities. Some things are really important to them we don't really care about. Some things are unimportant to them that we put a lot of great stress on. They were strangers and they were aliens despite being in a land that God had already promised them. Now, my friends, the application for us is pretty clear here, is it not? As Christians, we're supposed to feel that way about living in this world. We shouldn't fit in. We are supposed to be strangers and exiles here. 
Christians are truly not from around here, spiritually speaking. You are nomads. You are strangers. You are exiles. You are aliens. We are from somewhere else, and that somewhere else is a realm that's not visible. We've got a green card, one pastor says, that says, citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship is. That's where our home is. And we shouldn't really fit in here at all to this fallen culture around us. The world has all kinds of different goals and seeks pleasure in all kinds of things that we do not. They laugh at things that we don't think are funny at all. They watch scenes in movies that we find disgusting and repugnant. The world is as if there is no God, and we live to please God who knows every thought and intention of our hearts. The world should not be able to understand us where their hearts are unregenerate and their eyes are blinded by the God of this age. That should not surprise us that they don't put the same value and have the same desires that we do as redeemed children of God. The world lives for this life only, but we live in light of eternity. That's how these patriarchs lived each day. They lived by faith in the promises of God, and they welcomed them as the rule over their entire lives. And even though they knew that by living by faith in God's promises, they were going to be strangers, they were going to be exiles, they were going to be nomads, they were going to be aliens, and even though they never saw the fulfillment of those promises, they lived their entire lives as if that was true until they took their very last breath here on earth. This is what the author of Hebrews wants us to see, is that that same challenge, my friends, is for you and I today as it was for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We are to live our faith each day up until the day we die. Persevering faith means that we will live our lives as strangers and exiles all the way through the end of the journey. Saving faith is persevering faith. Look at the second verse here, the second section, verses 14 through 16a. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So here's point number two in your notes this morning. Persevering faith means that we leave behind our worldly home and we seek our heavenly home. We need to leave behind our worldly home. We seek our heavenly home. You know, I think we've kind of lost this through the centuries, this old, this old knowledge that we used to have, that this temporal happiness in this life is not the goal, my friends. Somehow we've lost that, and we think the goal is happiness now as believers. But that's not the goal. Somehow we've lost that as believers, the truth of our purpose and our meaning and our roles and our thinking. Our ancestors believed and understood that there was this home, this earthly home, 
And then there was our eternal home. There were two worlds, if you will. I don't, I'm not trying to say we have a different reality. Please don't confuse all of that. In fact, this is the first generation of mankind that actually expects to find happiness here on the earth. And their search for it has caused all kinds of unhappiness. Now, why is that? Why is this generation so unhappy? Well, if you don't believe in another world, if you don't believe in a heavenly world, and if you believe only in this temporal world around you, and you believe this is your only chance at happiness, then you're going to be sadly disappointed, aren't you, in this life? Well, the writer of Hebrews, he's making the same point in his own way. In earlier generation, people believed, really, in this earthly home, this earthly world, if you will, and then their heavenly home. And they knew that the their heavenly home was the one that was going to last forever, that that's the one that they needed to put their priority on, that that's the one they needed to be thinking about, that that's the one they needed to be focused on, and that the decisions that they made here in this little thing, this vapor we call life, which again, how long is 80 or 100 years, if you live to be 100 years, how long is that in the span of eternity? A blink of an eye, a flash of a light. They understood that this part here is the temporary part and that our other home here is the eternal one. And that we need to be thinking and putting our eyes on this, on that eternal home, not on this one. So they were always, they lived in this world, the, this rigorous, poor, sin-tainted, fallen, temporary world, but always with an eye looking forward to their eternal home. They understood that this world could not, cannot, does not, will ever bring you ultimate happiness. And they lived their lives like that. And it affected the decisions that they made. It affected how they raised their children. It affected how they viewed their future. It affected every aspect of their lives. And they lived their lives that way from the moment of salvation until they took their last breath here on this earth. That's persevering faith. To that point, again, verse 15, the author points out that they could have returned. If they were just looking for a better earthly home, they could have went back to to, uh, Mesopotamia at any time. Why did they not do that? Because they believed so strongly in their eternal home. They believed so strongly in the other world, the the real world, if you will, the, the eternal home, the world that we will live in forever. I mean, the living conditions in their former homeland were, had to be far better than a tent in the desert. And if there's no, and there's probably little doubt that if they would have returned, things would have been easier for them temporarily. Friends, family, maybe they owned a dwelling back there. But they endured these hardships, and they didn't go back because they were seeking, notice the text tells us, a better country. Namely, a heavenly one. That's where they had their eye focused. And the application here for us is that as believers, we need to quit trying to seek our happiness from the things of this world and find our joy in your citizenship in heaven, my friends. Quit trying to expect 
this rigorous, poor, sin-tainted, fallen, temporary world to provide you with happiness. You're not going to find it here. Keep your place in Hebrews and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Here, Jesus uses the word, the, the language of other worlds. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. He says here, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because they're not of this world, even as I'm not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, separate them, consecrate them in the truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified. How in truth. We live in this world, but we are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We may be tempted to go back to the values of this fallen world sometimes, especially when we're waiting and waiting and waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. We may think that we could just kind of slide one foot into our old world and keep one foot into the new world. But my friends, it never works out that way. We can't ever go back. Why not? Because when you get entangled with the world, as we do all of us from time to time, we find that it does not satisfy us the way that we think it would. No one, hear me out. No one is more miserable than a Christian living in sin. We can sin, and we certainly do. And we can make really stupid choices, and we certainly do plenty of that too. And sometimes we can even persist in sinful ways for a long time. But mark this carefully. True Christians can never be happy in their sin. Having professed to follow Jesus... You are never going to find joy and rest in peace surrounded by the unredeemed. Ever. Well, notice here in verse 16a again, but as it is, he said they had an opportunity to go back. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. When you fall in love, my friends, you seek to be with your beloved because you desire to be with them. You want to be around them. I've seen young men in college carrying a heavy academic load and working many hours to pay their bills, and they don't have a minute to spare, but then they fall in love. And it's simply amazing how suddenly they have hours each day to spend with their new love. And they seek her because of their desire for her. And in the very same way, We are to seek heaven because we desire to be with Jesus, the lover of our souls. 
if you're not rearranging your busy schedule so that you can seek the things above where Christ is, my friends, you need to examine your heart. You have set your affections on things of this world instead of your real home. You may have left your first love for the Savior who gave himself to secure you as his bride. Now, you may be thinking here, well, if we're not ever going to be fulfilled here, if we're never going to find real happiness here, do Christians even have any hope? Let me tell you this. We are never without hope as believers. But our hope is not here. Our hope is there. We're never without hope. It's hidden with Christ in God. And therefore, we recognize that this isn't our home. This is not where my citizenship is. This is not where my homeland is. My homeland is there, not here. And so saving faith, persevering faith, alters the way we look at ourselves, and we understand this world is not our home. And every time I say that, I think of that old, is that an old gospel hymn or whatever that uh, this world, what's that go? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Persevering faith means that we leave behind our worldly home. And we seek our heavenly home. Okay, quickly. Let's look at the last section here. And this is important. 16b. Therefore... He's summarizing. What's the therefore, therefore? Every time we see that in the text, we want to ask ourselves that question. He's summarizing what we just talked about from verses 13 through up to this point. Point number three, persevering faith means that we will be rewarded by God where? In the heavenly city. My friends, as we seek that heavenly city, that eternal abode with our God and Savior, we are told that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Now think about that. Isn't that wonderful? It's kind of a ne- it's kind of a negative phraseology of something very positive. He's proud to be called our God and proud to call us his children. What does that mean? Well, one pastor helps us through this. He says this, when Satan comes to God and accuses us before God daily, and tells God how unworthy we are, and how faithless we are, and how undeserving we are, and how ungrateful we are, here's how God responds. I am their father. I am proud to be their father because of what my son has done on their behalf. They trust that I will bring them home. They have faith that I am a faithful God who loves them. And though they stumble, I will not let them fall, Satan. You may accuse, but they've been justified. They've been declared not guilty by the blood of the one who defeated you at the cross and his glorious resurrection. I'm not ashamed of these you accused before me. I love them and will love them for eternity, for they are mine. My friends, how could we even entertain going back to an old worldly system? How can we ever entertain putting our values in things of this world when we have a father who loves us this much? 
How can we even entertain going back to a worldly home where God does not want us putting down any roots when we know he loves us and only wants us to follow him daily by faith, trusting that he is faithful, who works all things together for our good? The trials of life will tempt us to leave God on the sidelines while we're trying to figure it all out and then come back with some sort of plan that doesn't include him. This, too, is what the saints of old were tempted to do. Every time something didn't go away right away, every time a promise didn't get fulfilled. How many times do you think Abraham and Sarah struggle with the fact of, okay, well, it's been five years, it's been seven years, it's been 10 years, it's been 12 years, it's been 15 years, it's been 19 years, it's 20 years now, 22 years, 24. Oh, now God is going to. That lesson of perseverance until the end for the reward of eternal blessings in the city of God is one which all believers of every age need to be reminded of, my friends. We are all pilgrims on a journey of faith bound for the inheritance God has provided for us. And learning to trust God in their situations, the patriarchs looked forward to the reward that was beyond their earthly home. They lived their lives with such faith in God's promises that it's as if they were already fulfilled, even though they never saw the reality and fulfillment of God's promises, even to the moment they died and the Lord called them home. And listen carefully. They didn't have the same clear promise of a heavenly homeland that we do. We're looking on this side of the cross. They were looking to the cross. We're looking back at the cross. But God delighted in their faith through Jesus Christ. And he prepared a city for them, and he's prepared a city for you. Why do we keep persevering in faith, my friends? Why do we do that when we don't see the fulfillment of God's promises? It's so tempting to just... Quit striving. Quit believing. Why do we keep persevering in faith? Because there's no God like our God, and there's no Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do it? Well, persevering faith means that we'll live our lives as strangers and exiles all the way through the end of this journey. You should set your mind already that God may not fulfill all of the promises in your lifetime, but that should not alter the way that you live your lives. Secondly, persevering faith leaves behind our worldly home and seeks our heavenly home. Quit making this all about your personal happiness. That is not your mission and purpose as a believer. It's not about your personal happiness, my friends. It's about his glory. And listen carefully. It's always been about his glory. It will always be about his glory. Thirdly, persevering faith means we will be rewarded by God in the heavenly city. God has destined for us. He has destined us for heaven. And no matter how many mistakes we make along the way, and we certainly make plenty, his grace is more than sufficient to cover each and every one of them. He intends to take all of his redeemed children to heaven. 
and not one of them will fail to make it. Some will run triumphantly. Others will stumble and crawl across the finish line, but they will make it. But by grace, my friends, we will prevail because God is not ashamed to be our God today, tomorrow, or forever. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, again from the challenge from your word. We are reminded, Lord, it's so so difficult for us, Lord, to cling to our faith. It's so tempting for us to try to slide back into this temporal, sin-tainted, fallen world and to put our priorities there, to put our expectations here and to, to try to seek happiness here in this fallen world. But Lord, you remind us that this is not our home. We are strangers, aliens, exiles, nomads here. And, but this is where you've called us, Lord, to be. We have a mission and a purpose and a role to accomplish for your glory. It's not about our personal happiness. It's about your glory. And so, Father, I pray that everyone here, every true believer here, Lord, will live each day with the conviction of things not yet seen. Lord, if there's one in our midst that does not know you, if they're grasping around here in the darkness trying to find happiness in this sin-tainted, fallen world, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would cry out, Lord, recognize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and cry out to you. Father, do your work in their hearts as you will. Lord, thank you again for the challenge from this word. For all who have already accepted Christ as their Savior, Lord, may we be people who persevere. May we keep our eyes on our true citizenship in heaven with you, with a God who's not ashamed of us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.